But Jeff started really even before that as a player and started creating this world when he was much younger, uh, much, much younger, Jeff. I'm sorry. Um, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, cut, cut, please cut. cut. <laughs> My name is Jeff Irving and this is the Vrahod Tavern podcast. I am the creator of the Vrahod game system. And in this podcast, we're going to do a deep dive into the lore and gameplay of Vrahod. I'm joined by Brandon Rollins, who will be acting as a stand-in for you, asking many of the questions you might be curious about yourself. We're also joined today by campaign book writer Sean Allen Dressler. Brandon, what is our topic for today? All right. So in this episode, just like the last one, we've got Sean Allen Dressler here. So of course, today's topic, we're going to ask a bunch of questions about the writing of the Vrahog campaign book. But I wanted to start this episode by asking about something that I was actually curious about in the last episode, but didn't have much of a chance to ask about. And it's this. Now, Sean, you said that you had published some fantasy novels before working on Verhoed. Can you tell me a little bit more about those? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I came to writing uh, as a profession a little bit later in life. I I had always written as a child and it was sort of a therapy uh, for me through a a previous uh, career in landscape architecture and planning. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I started to create a very similar to Jeff's story. I started to create the secondary world in my head and the characters that um, were compelling to me that might populate it. And eventually those characters found themselves in some trouble and, and found themselves in the midst of a story. Um, and so I, my uh, transition out of my previous career was actually my transition into publishing the first of, of uh, what will eventually be a trilogy. But the first book is called The Five Awaken. It's uh, the first book in a trilogy called The Kingdoms of the Core. And uh, it's, it's about five central characters that all are uh, incited into some action. And I won't give away any spoilers in case anyone wants to listen to it. But essentially, they find themselves on uh, separate journeys that will have a lot to do with each other uh, by uh, not too long into the first book. And uh, it, it is very much along the vein of the um, there is no primary good and evil. Lots of things are gray. And yet there's still a sense of good and evil and morality in the world. Um, probably somewhere in between, if I had to pick a middle point thematically, between like a uh, George R. R. Martin where everything is gray and a Tolkien where it's primarily, uh, you know, white and black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you say those guys are your primary influencers or are there some others in there as well? That's a great question. You know, influence changes so much over the course of your writing and to start out, I would say, yes, that probably to start out, those were my two primary influences. Now, as I continue, I would throw in uh, Robin Hobb, who is not as well known, but maybe, in my opinion, the best pure fantasy writer um, out there. Robin Hobb is, is the um, uh, pen name. Megan Lindholm is her name, but she wrote The Elderlings uh, the Realm of the Elderlings series. Yeah, that's cool. So um, even though she, even though she hasn't got like 
well, I mean, it's hard to compete with Tolkien and Martin, right? <laughs> but even though she's not uh, like on that same um, level of popularity, it sounds like something in her work really connected with you and made you want to kind of write the same way. So Robin Hobb has a focus on character that I really like. Um, and I think particularly in a lot of genre fiction, like fantasy and suspense and horror and et cetera, we run the risk often of paying too much attention to genre expectations and world. And we <laughs> lose what I think is the backbone of every good story, which is, you know, to borrow a quote, it's the, it's the human heart in conflict with itself. <laughs> and if you lose that character element, then I feel like you just lose the heart of the story. And she does an amazing job of writing character. See, that's a really good observation because I find that what turns people away from science fiction and fantasy reading I often is just, it's exactly what you said. It's that it's a little too abstract, a little bit too world-driven at the expense of that kind of character development because it's the characters that actually really pull you in. Like, I, I love getting immersed in a complicated world. And I'm going to use movies as examples because they, you know, get to a wider audience but like blade runner for example it's a beautiful world very complicated lots of stuff going on there very fun to immerse yourself in but for the life of me i have the toughest time remembering the name of the actual character it's deckard you know played by harrison ford of course <laughs> and and of course it was the book was originally um i think do androids dream of electric sheep but that's the point but my point is like you forget the character you remember the world um I think you subvert that, then you do something quite special. Yeah, totally. Because, and and granted, everybody is going to get what they want to get out of books, and they're going to gravitate to the books that give them that. But what, what I have a hard time with is when it's so focused on the world that you do, maybe you do a great job of inspiring awe or inspiring wonder or creating uh, terror or fear. But in the middle of that, if I don't care about the characters who are experiencing that, then I really don't care about the story. Yeah. And so in, in the game of Rahod, does it have a kind of a character focus? It does. And this is one of the central challenges of writing a game in which you don't know how many players will be in a, in a given playing party. You know, Rahod has the ability for, uh, players to play one and up to six players which is incredibly versatile from a writing standpoint it is incredibly challenging <laughs> good luck with that <laughs> exactly because i only have one character that i know will be in every playing party and that's the caltiran character um, and so how do i make the readers care about the rest of the players in their party that's a, that's that's a challenge yeah that's interesting yeah. The other, thing, the other thing too, Sean, I wanted to ask about is, you know, it's always a risk when you write a book uh, to not have a main protagonist that it, that is easily uh, that you can easily connect with. Uh, the world of Rahod has no humans, <laughs> right? And, and so, has that been kind of uniquely challenging to try to write about these races when none of them are humans or elves or any of that? You know, I can see how how it would be tempting to think that would be a challenge. But what I what I here's all right. So I think that a writer has to bring themselves to the story. 
And, and so for me to write these characters, even though this is secondary world, it's a fictional world with fictional characters and they're races that don't exist, I'm still putting essentially human hearts in these characters. And so all of the different uh, extremes of the human behavioral spectrum are present within these characters, all the emotional extremes, the motivations. And so even though these are Kautuk and Athakul and Drell Rune and, you know, words and of races that no one has ever heard before, everyone who plays this game is still going to be able to relate to the um, situations that they find themselves in. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really a good way to ground it because even if you have these fantasy creatures who are like nothing that you've ever heard of before in any fiction or otherwise, as long as you're grounding it in joy and sorrow and ecstasy and grief and like these basic human experiences, then it's easier to relate to them. Yeah, exactly. And, and without those things, what motivations do you really have? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, just think about the Beatles before they ever came out and, and, and people first heard the name of that. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, exactly. Why would I care about a band about arthropods? Yeah. Right. <laughs> You're going to see the faces and things change. It's kind of like, um, yeah, it, that's what gets people really into bands, too. I mean, obviously the music, but I mean, the big time fans, they get into the actual story of the artist behind sure. it. I mean, you don't even actually need real band members to do this either. I mean, look at Gorillaz. They've been doing their thing for like 20 years. Right. Yeah. And the thing that's consistent with all of them is they all tell a human story in every yep. song. Yeah. In every single instance. Yeah. So I've got kind of a, a left field question for you. Go for and it. And that is, how is it different to write for a tabletop game campaign versus other kinds of writing like fantasy writing? Yeah, so we touched on this a little bit in the last podcast when we talked about outline. Certainly, the outlining process is more intense in a tabletop game. You know, when I prepared the outline for this game, or, or I should say when Jeff and I worked back and forth to prepare it, a, a big focus was not just on what are the story elements that are going to happen, but what are the game mechanics that support those story elements? And so not only was I doing more outlining for the story than I've ever done, but I was also doing additional outlining on top of that, completely tangential to the story, but supportive of it. Um, so yeah, so outlining is way more intense, even for the plotter, it's way more intense for a game. Um, and also uh, the, the concept of NPCs as they relate as sort of a parallel to side characters. So in a book, side characters all have their own story. Um, any good side character has their own story. They have their own motivation. They have their relationship to the main characters. And you have to develop a, a sympathetic link or an empathetic link between the characters, the side characters, and the readers. Now, it's normally very easy to do that for a main character. Um, in a video game, it's almost easier to do that with the side characters, or excuse me, in a in a in a game in a tabletop game. It's almost oh, really it applies to both tabletop and video games. It's almost easier to do that with the side characters, because the player is the main character. 
the player automatically has an empathetic link to themselves. And as long as they are role-playing their character, that's something that the writing generally doesn't have to do. And so in a type of game where you're either choosing from a selection of characters or you're creating your own custom character, you are essentially deciding who that character is and in many cases, what their backstory is, where they came from. And so the NPCs in some ways kind of steal the show. And so what I'm really excited about with Rahod is for players to be introduced to all these um, side characters, being introduced to them, experiencing their story, and then getting to meet them not just once in the game, uh, like you often see, but as central movers of the story. Yeah. They're really invested in the story. I like that idea because it, now that you mention it this way, it, it really does kind of reframe previous board and, and video games for me when you think about NPCs, because especially in video games, main characters tend to be these kind of empty vessels um, in video games, often the really, really, really popular ones, the Mario's and the Gordon Freeman's of the world, they don't even say a word. Like they have no personality. You right. project your entire self onto it. But the NPCs are the ones who, you know, actually move the story along or or they fall in love or die or get all the memes like arrow to the knee and all that stuff. Because it's like they've got these, <laughs> they've got their own lives and everything. It's interesting. Yeah, exactly. yeah and you know, in my memory and the the games that that stand out as memorable to me are the ones who really do a good job with the NPCs mm-hmm. and make them critical not just to the gameplay but the story. Yeah, I think you're I think you're um, enamored by the whole Corbwalder. Uh, uh, oh man, are we are we doing spoilers? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We can, we can get into spoiler territory if you want. No, no. The uh, the only hint I'm giving is that there happens to be a Vrahod Tavern in in the world of Vrahod, and its proprietor's name is Corbwalder. That's as far as I'm going. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. That sounds like something I can leave in post. <laughs> yeah. So I suppose, man, we're going to be really hampered with these questions with, with the potential of spoilers. Cause I really don't want to spoil this story, but I'm going to go ahead with them anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what, what have been your favorite parts of writing the Verhoed story so far? Well, I really like the ending. Here, here's how it goes. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, I mean, of course, diving in your first moments in the world where you're just getting a feel for this non-Earth system of existence, because there's going to be a lot that's familiar and there's going to be a lot that's not familiar. And so jumping in and working back and forth with Jeff and distilling everything down into a form where it can be a story, um, just purely from a writing standpoint, has been one of my favorite parts. Um, I joked earlier that coming into this was like being dropped in a wood, in the woods, in the dark, blindfolded. And that's really not that far off. And I mean it in a really good way, because to me, writing story is so much more about discovering what the characters in the world are trying to tell you than it is you trying to tell them what to do. And so in general, just getting to know these characters, getting to know the 
the villages and the regions that they live in and come from and how rich it is has been so gratifying. It's funny enough because I think I had asked Jeff something similar a long time ago and gotten a similar response. I've noticed that with people who build worlds and write stories that a lot of the times when you ask them how they do what they do, they essentially say, well, the stuff's out there. I'm just telling you what it is there. Like you're more like a reporter. I just think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I would agree. I, I've, I've, I like the reporter analogy. I've always <laughs> called it more chronicling. Like I've always seen myself almost more of a chronicler of what the characters are experiencing as opposed to giving them those experiences. Sounds like the Quayon. Sounds, sounds a bit like the Quayon, Sean. <laughs> it does. Maybe there's a parallel there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I'm not particularly mystic or anything, but I found that this comes up way, way more often than you'd think when you talk to enough creative people. And it almost feels like it implies that the story has been out there, whether or not somebody has found it or not, um, which is interesting to think about, if nothing else. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So what have you liked about writing a game series as to opposed as opposed to a book? Um, I enjoy the studio feeling of it. You know, when I'm writing a book, I'm almost always by myself, in my head, uh, trying to be in my characters' heads, and et cetera, for months at a time. Writing a game series, if for no other reason than Jeff forces me to do this, I have to come up for air <laughs> and exist in the world with other people that have to contribute to this process or it wouldn't exist. And so I really, I find myself um, maybe even despite myself and enjoying that. Yeah. It, it's funny how having, having to take breaks can ultimately make it better or having to report to others can ultimately end up um, <laughs> making it, if nothing else, more enjoyable. It's almost like you need human interaction or something. I don't know. Well, I think, I think Sean can attest to the fact that, you know, Jeff lives in the world of Rahod 24-7, and though the frequency of my contact with Sean after 5 p.m. during the days and on weekends has diminished, I've had to really learn that he does need a life. He <laughs> can't live in Rahod with me. And so, and so we've had to kind of create some healthy boundaries that, that says it's okay for me to be you know, the crazy man in Brahode, but, but Sean actually has to live in, you know, in his life. <laughs> well, that's the eternal struggle when you really like something enough is you'll just want to work at it at all hours on the day and just not ever stop. And that's a real risk because eventually you just get so tired, you can't do it right. It is. And this is definitely the kind of project where you can lose yourself in that way. And you know, for me, as I think with most creatives, you eventually get to that point where you realize you you do the process and the product a disservice if you don't allow yourself that uh, mental recharge time. Mm -hmm. One of the things we, we've talked a lot about writing in a general sense and writing for for uh, tabletop as opposed to n novels. But one thing I wanted to ask you, Sean, is you know, as a, as someone who has played a fair amount of games and, and uh, also put in your time as a writer, 
what sense do you get of of what we're what we're at least attempting to deliver for for um, players here that might be different from what you're used to seeing in in the stuff that you the games that you played? Well, it's just going to have a way better story, Jeff. No, I'm kidding. I am kind of biased he, that the story is going to be and great. He's humble too. <laughs> Humblest man in the room. No, but what I will say is it's going to have, I think, a heightened focus in a few areas that I don't normally see combined. And so a lot of games will have a really heightened focus on world and will forget that gameplay is what brings gamers to a game. And then some games will have so much of a focus on trying to make every single thing possible in gameplay that you're drowned by it. And you end up at a place where, wait, I'm, I'm sorry, why am I on this quest? I can't even remember. Is there a story that I'm in the middle of here? And I really feel like, uh, well, and actually, let me put a third leg on that stool. And then there are those games that are so incredibly uh, in the weeds on world that you almost feel like do did the creators even care about the the story going on in this world the characters going on in this world and you know it's a hard thing to do and that's why it's not very often done but at least our focus is trying to accomplish doing all three of those things in a really satisfying way so it's going to feel i think it's going to feel um, as though the story is as rich as a fully-fledged uh, epic fantasy novel. It's going to feel as though the gameplay is as uh, variable and dynamic as a fully-imagined, you know, well-functioning uh, tabletop gaming experience. And the world is just as rich as the latest Game of Thrones series. I mean, it is really, really rich. And so I, I would say the difference is it attempts to do all of the things that at least some segments of players really enjoy all in one box. And it's hard to get all of those things all at once. Usually you'll just find like one or two will be really good, but not all of them all at once. Um, it, I think another key factor here is that the, when the playtesting begins, and it will have begun by the time this podcast drops, um, we're just going to keep testing it until it is actually 100% what it needs to be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As I mean, much time as it takes. We'd love to crowd, we'd love to crowdfund Q4 2023. And when we initially set out on this journey, uh, uh, Sean and I kind of put our heads together and, and that's the, the kind of the date range we thought made sense. Is that, is that uh date range, flexible you better believe it <laughs> because you can't you can't claim to be a game system like we're claiming to be here um without having a rule system that is airtight that is sound mm-hmm. that doesn't have a lot of gaping holes in it that make it not completely functional and not completely fun so we're definitely you know we're definitely going to push that date around if we need to yeah which that said, we that is still quite a bit of ways into the future, and I, I think that it is actually pretty achievable. But that's yeah. the thing; it's just a matter of which value is most important—the timeline or the ultimate quality of it—and we would side with quality every single time. Sure. Well, and that's something that was so attractive to me when I first became aware of this game is 
that I in the uh, the job description of the post where I found the, uh, the game is Jeff describing it as a passion, a lifelong goal, not something that he's uh, doing to add a different wrinkle in his investment portfolio. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that's a big difference and honestly, a big difference in this industry that so many people do create these board games at, out of a love for the genre or a love for the activity. But Jeff started really even before that as a player and started creating this world when he was much younger, uh, much, much younger, Jeff, I'm sorry. Um, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> cut, cut, please cut. cut. <laughs> And so, you know, all that to say that it wasn't just the description of the job post. That's how it's been ever since I came on board is he will always side with the side of uh, on the side of quality. And it's it's been a a breath of fresh air. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. That's true. We're we're really trying to we're really trying to, you know, I look at a lot of other expensive games. Games have gotten expensive uh, that are in the vein of the one we're doing, the series that we're doing they've gotten really expensive and you know i almost feel in a lot of cases that they're they're more about selling a bunch of pretty miniatures and oh it just happens to be a game as well um and right. that's not at all the approach that we're that we're taking here this is is something that whenever we whenever we spend a, a dollar on this project and we've spent several of them um it always airs on the side of more gameplay and more more ways to play and more tools for our content creators. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's going to bode well for us, not just in, initially, because obviously Weathervane Games is not a, a well-known studio. Jeff Irving is not a, a, a well-known uh, game designer. And Sean Dressler is better known for, you know, epic fantasy writing as opposed to game series. Um, and so we, we're, we're well aware we have a, a bit of a headwind, but – um, as we step towards crowdfunding and we continually um, sh- are open and receptive to change and we let people into play tests and we listen to them and we make the games that they also want to play. I think, I think by the time crowdfunding gets around, we'll be uh, much more of a known quantity than we are right now. <laughs> I think so yeah. too. Yeah. There's actually still, believe it or not, more stuff that I want to talk to you about. I mean, we could we could honestly get 100 episodes if you had infinite time. I know you don't. But I was actually thinking for the next episode, I want to talk about the concept of the Kaltiran, which I've been floating for like four episodes now. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're down to do that, I say, uh, what do you say to recording another one? I say, let's do it. All right, cool. Jeff, you want to take us out on this one? Thank you for listening to the Vrahod Tavern Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, take a moment to subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. It helps more than you know. You can learn more about Vrahod on vrahod.com. That's V-R-A-H-O-D-E.com. Link in the show notes. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram where we're at Vrahod. Thank you again for listening. We really appreciate it. Keep an eye out for our next episode in two weeks. 